Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I want to tell you about the Ringer's gambling podcast. It is called Against All Odds with Cousin Sal, and you're not going to believe this, but it is hosted by Cousin Sal, the biggest degenerate gambler that I know. He's such a degenerate. He has three other degenerates that he calls the degenerate trifecta, and they break down every conceivable gambling thing you would ever want to gamble on. They even take you to Captain Morgan's make-believe casino where Sal makes up props on, on all kinds of things, sports, pop culture, you name it. You are going to want to get your gambling advice from these guys. Cousin Sal, he's been a staple on the BS podcast for the last 10 years. So good that we gave him his own podcast. Check it out, Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Ben Lindbergh, a writer for TheRinger.com. On the other line, still protecting his privates in a David Robertson salute, it's my colleague, my co-host, Michael Bauman. Hello, Michael. Hang on. Hang on. I'm I'm still reading this 2,000-word text message from... From disgraced former Atlanta Braves GM John Copalella. I'll, I'll be with you in a second. <laughs> you know, I followed up with Jeff Passan to ask about the 2,000 word text messages that, that Copalella apparently sent before he was <laughs> removed or resigned. And Jeff says he's seen them. He's seen the screenshots. He's seen the receipts. They were apparently extra long trade proposals. And I told Jeff that was exactly what I used to do in my fantasy that baseball. That's why you don't play fantasy I, baseball I soon, anymore. <laughs> I resigned from fantasy baseball. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I'm, not a I'm, great tactic. I'm a little so. pissed off that this is happening on the eve of the playoffs because I feel like we could have gotten a lot of comedic mileage out of this. If, if uh, we'll have to circle yeah. back after the playoffs, we'll we'll return right, cool. to this. So we do have a lot to get to today. We have obviously seen a couple playoff games. We're gonna do a quick recap of the wild card games. You've seen them too. You know how they ended, but just a, a few takeaways from those games, and then this podcast we- will include spoilers as we go deep on the books and the tv show (laughs) yes if you are not watching the playoffs live you may want to skip this one i'm sure you are and we have a lot of other baseball starting we have two al division series starting today we have the nl division series starting tomorrow it is our one guaranteed day this playoffs of four series madness happening on a single day that is always fun so we're going to talk about yeah we're going to talk about each of those series and Break down some of the keys, some of the expectations we have for these series. But before we get to the series that are just starting, let's talk about what we've seen. You and I were on recap duty for these wildcard games. I was in Yankee Stadium for the AL wildcard game where balls of all types took a beating. And there were a, a couple things that these games had in common. And there was definitely a lot of wildness along the way to pretty predictable results in that the teams that we expected to win and everyone really expected to win did win, but they didn't win in exactly the manner that we would have forecasted them to win. So there are two things I think, or maybe three that that these games have in common. One, they took a while. These games were just a, a few minutes short of four hours, 351 and 354. I don't want to harp on that but we will probably be returning to it as the playoffs proceed yeah. if the average and, and game length stays up there. <laughs> so. Honestly, that's fine for these wild card games because yeah, I think right. there's a lot these, of drama. 
there's going to be so many pitching changes in these like the it's going to be so high stakes that they're the games are just going to take longer but they're like if, for both of them this might just be me getting old like i sort of zoned out in the middle because like mm-hmm. they're both of them had had that huge burst of energy at the beginning yeah, and they sort they of had trailed off in the middle innings and then, yes right yeah but they were both entertaining. There were lead changes or at least comeback attempts. There yeah, was, there were uh, lead changes in the NL game. That's right. Like it, the, the there were weirdest... almost lead changes several yeah. times, but but not quite. The Rockies could not quite close the gap after the Diamondbacks built up that early lead. So, yeah, these were lengthy games, but for good reason for the most part. And the stakes are so high in these games that you almost don't mind or, or don't notice. And as you mentioned, the pitching changes. No, we can't totally extrapolate from what happens in wildcard games to what happens in the rest of the playoffs. These are a special case, but even so, I think these games were a pretty good primer for what postseason baseball looks like in 2017. Between the length, between the pitching changes, 21 combined pitching changes in these two games, the bullpens ended up pitching 26 and two thirds out of the 34 innings in these games. That's 78%. So 32 strikeouts by the relievers in 26 and two-thirds. And, of course, there were also nine home runs in these two games combined, although there were a lot of other hits in the second game, too. A strange variety of hits. Four triples, a couple squeeze bunts in the NO wildcard game. So there was something for everyone. But these are going to be trends that we're probably going to be talking about for the rest of the month. Lots of bullpen action, lots of strikeouts, lots of long games. Yeah, we're going to, when we preview the four division series, Series, uh, we're going to do uh, one of our favorite gimmicks, prop bets, and many of mm-hmm. the prop bets uh, will hinge on who pitches, which innings, and for how long. So, right, exactly. Um, one thing. So, just a, a note about the the Diamondbacks: four triples, including Archie. The Archie Bradley <laughs> right. triple was <laughs> so incredible because as as he was hitting, like you could see Tori Lavallo's thought process, which. I think hitting Bradley there and uh, bringing Robbie Ray in relief, in addition to being sort of a, you know, they had a, the 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 game was not by any stretch of the imagination in the balance when when Ray came in, uh, mm-hmm. but burning your game one division series starter, you're essentially co-ace and having a relief pitcher hit with uh, two men on and a one-run lead, no matter how that that turned out. I'm just worried that that sends a powerful message to the bullpen that we don't trust anybody but uh, uh, Chafin, um, Bradley, and Fernando Rodney, who's my my decision to buy all the Fernando sto- Rodney stock in the world before the yeah. playoffs seems to be paying Everyone off quite well so far. selling at a steep discount to you. I know. You just I've, racked up all that I've portfolio. quartered the market on Rodney. <laughs> Yeah, well, both managers or winning managers in these games made pretty aggressive moves, as you mentioned, using Ray and then also Girardi pulling Severino after a third of an inning, which I think was the right move, but certainly could have backfired. Or I think many managers would not have made that move with a guy who had a season like Severino. So I think managers are appropriately realizing how you should manage these games. And obviously, we're not going to see every postseason game from here on out look like these two games, but it's definitely a a sign of things to come, I think. And we were talking in our last episode with Zach Cram about 
the prospect of bullpen games and why anyone doesn't do it, whether they should do it. They didn't do it, but they inadvertently ended up doing it more or less. The Yankees essentially pitched a bullpen game by accident, and it worked out very well for them. We'll yeah. talk about that when we talk about their series with the Indians that's starting today. And really, I mean, we got four lousy starts by these four teams, and partly that was by design. You want to go to the bullpen early, but but not really. I think any of these managers would have been happy to have their starters go five or six, and they just didn't have it. So we ended up seeing the bullpen game that we were talking about, just yeah, not the, by design. The the much quoted stat uh, that was tossed around was all four starters in the wild card round put together through fewer innings than Madison Bumgarner did in either <laughs> of his last two uh, wild card wild card appearances, where he pitched two yeah. complete game. Uh, victories so Mm -hmm. yeah so we're going to be talking about bullpens in the rest of this episode in the rest of this postseason so we don't have to go overboard on it here but yeah what else uh one last thing from the the diamondbacks game they had four triples in this game it was the first time a team had hit four triples in the playoffs since uh game seven of the 1903 world series sure and the reason i find this interesting is the Boston Red Sox hit five triples in a in a postseason game in two of the first seven postseason games of Major League Baseball history, hmm. and it hadn't happened again until tonight. Which, I mean, that just gives you uh, an idea of how bizarre this game was. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, and that Archie Bradley triple was payback for Autograph Gate. I'm sure that Zach Greinke was not sorry mm-hmm. to see Pat Neshek surrender that hit after the. <laughs> one of the stupidest stories in baseball this whole year, probably. Oh, I kind of liked it. Oh, I, I, I enjoyed it. It was very silly and <laughs> very stupid. But Granky, for anyone who missed this, refused to sign an autograph for Nishik or refused to after initially agreeing to, not realizing what he had been asked. And then Nishik posted about it in an autograph collector's forum and became a whole big thing. Anyway, I guess Granky gets the last laugh. Not that he pitched particularly well. He pitched better than any of the other three starters in the wild card games, which is not saying much at all. So we want to do something every time a team gets eliminated this postseason. We don't want to turn the page immediately. We want to salute their season. So to do that, we're just going to pause for a moment and toast the Rockies and the Twins. And to set up this segment, we'll have a recurring clip, which comes courtesy of Heidi Klum on Project Runway. Take it away, Heidi. You basically took yourself out of this competition. In this business, it's all about selling yourself. You admitted that you were the weakest of your team, and that gave us no choice. You're out. Okay. Can I go now? All right. So, Twins and Rockies didn't last long in these playoffs. We didn't expect them to, but they had excellent seasons, and we have to give it up to them. They really turned things around, I don't think, Anyone really expected them to get as far as they did. The Twins didn't expect themselves to get as far as they did. They sold at the trade deadline. The Rockies nearly blew the thing after getting out to what seemed like a safe lead in the wildcard race. They held on to do that. Both of these teams have a lot of really entertaining players and great individual seasons and beleaguered fan bases that needed this brush with respectability. And I think both teams can probably build on this, particularly the Twins. Yeah, one thing that uh just to go back to the bullpen game idea, I think the the Twins and Rockies uh 
sort of showed what happens when you have to go to that bull like the difference between what they did and what the Yankees did for instance mm-hmm. you know the the Yankees they got one third of an inning from their ace and were fine right. they were absolutely <laughs> fine because they got you know David Robertson somehow threw 52 pitches in this game yeah um but if you you know to a certain extent like it's you can you can create really great relief pitchers out of midair, it seems, but that's not actually the case. And if you don't have those horses and you get into trouble, particularly if you can't call on like both the, the Rockies and the Twins and the Diamondbacks, who really only have two or three relievers themselves, all burned starting pitchers who they would have needed in uh, in the division series. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's still important to to have that kind of bullpen depth. And I think, I mean, just... You know, you don't really need like Miller and Allen times three to get through a game like that. You just need somebody who can who can string a couple outs together. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's good. I think that's going to be the difference for a couple of these teams. Yeah, you can't have that many pitching changes in every playoff game and survive. You do still. No, eventually you're going <laughs> to need your starters to start yes. instead of yes. just soak up. The, the third to the fifth inning. Yeah, the Yankees are a special case in their ability to do that. And so why don't we use that as a transition to the Yankees series, which starts tonight in Cleveland. They're taking on the Indians. Do you want to give us your prop bet for this series to start us off? Yeah, so I've got, well, I actually wrote two for the Yankees. Let's start with with this one. Aaron Judge strikeout rate over under 40%. <laughs> yeah, so strikeouts obviously go up in the playoffs and it's a better caliber of pitching. And what was his regular season strikeout rate? Over 30, right? God Just over 30, it, about 31%. I'm going to say under, I would think. I don't know if there's anything to hot streaks for hitters, but... He has certainly been on an incredible tear for the last month or so. So I'm going to say under, but even when he's going well, he's he's not that far from that. And I'll say that I'll, I'll take the over. Uh, you know, maybe the over's a, a little aggressive. Maybe 40 is a little too high a line. But Cleveland has the highest team strikeout rate in, or they sorry, they struck out more batters than any other team in baseball. And he's mm-hmm. going to be facing. Yeah, he's going to face Kluber and Carrasco and a bullpen led by Miller and Allen. And for all yep. of Trevor Bauer's faults, striking out guys has not been a problem for him yet. No. Uh, more than ten strikeouts for nine innings this year. I think that that could be a that could be a problem if the Yankees. And it's not just not just Judge um, Matt Holiday strikes out a fair amount. Um, Gary Sanchez strikes out a decent amount. Brett Gardner strikes out a lot for. I don't know. He's got more power than he used to, but uh, mm-hmm. you know they've got a few guys with more than 100 strikeouts. So that could I could see that being a problem for the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the Indians pitching staff. We've probably discussed it, it by mm-hmm. some stats by Fangraphs were maybe the best pitching staff ever. It certainly is. It is dominant, and so any team would struggle. I I do like the fact that the Yankees are kind of an all or nothing offense, home run oriented offense more so than any other playoff team this year, which generally I think is a positive sign. I think it serves you well in the playoffs when it is more difficult to string together singles. You want to just have the ability to launch the big blow. But yes, against this team, that is a tough assignment. All right. So bonus over under for the Yankees. Who will pitch more innings, Yankee starters or Yankee relievers? (laughs) This one is really going to be close. I think I might go with relievers just because of what we know about how the Yankees rotation seems to be lining up. And we could talk about what both of these teams have decided to do with their rotations here. 
Cleveland somewhat controversially deciding not to start Corey Kluber in game one, lining him up for a game two start. Yeah, I want to talk about that when we get to... Yeah, Yankees going with Sonny Gray and then CeCe Sabathia, which means that you're limiting Severino to one start, Tanaka to one start, presumably. I don't know how they will work that out, but I... Based on the proof of concept that we saw in the wildcard game, I mean, this is why I think the Yankees are a good postseason team. They were a good regular season team. I think they're a significantly better postseason team. The bullpen just goes so deep and we saw it. That was a demonstration of their strength. They didn't intend to put it on display in that way in the wild card, but we know that they're capable of it with Green, with Robertson, with Chapman, with Patances. It goes on and on. Canely, it's just an incredibly deep collection of relievers. And I think Girardi is willing to be aggressive here. And given that their rotation is not their greatest strength and Severino will only be pitching once in this series, I, I think... I might go with relievers. I think maybe it should be relievers in their case. The the I think this will hinge on how deep Severino goes into his starts. I was going to say that there's, to to some extent, Severino is the only guy that you wouldn't be tempted to nursemaid a little bit, like mm-hmm. to you know try to do the Jeremy Guthrie eighteen batters faced and out thing if if he yeah. wasn't completely on. Um, you know, Tanaka's pitched a lot better in the after the the you know Rocky first couple months of the season so mm-hmm. you know Sebastian finished strong too mm-hmm. but yeah it's yeah, I these could guys just, are <laughs> particularly because Girardi I mean just the the willingness to stretch out like it looked like a college game the the way he was stretching yeah. out his, his relievers to two or even three innings at a time I didn't know David Robertson had that in him um, <laughs> no I don't think David Robertson knew he had that in so. him but I, I think yeah I mean we're not going to see quite that type of usage but that's the thing in the typical game He doesn't need to push those guys that hard. He doesn't necessarily need to do what Francona did last offseason with Miller and Allen stretching them really long because he has five, six guys almost that caliber. And if their starter doesn't go a third of an inning, if you can start the reliever carousel in the fifth inning or sixth inning, then you don't even need to stretch anyone that far. And with the off days, you can bring those guys back. So that's they're yeah, at a disadvantage. At no point do you it, have to yeah. have, uh, play more than two games in a row, which is, I think right. that allows you to, to have a much, much shorter hook than uh, with yes. your starting pitchers. And presumably, I mean, those guys were all fresh and well-rested in the wildcard game. That will not quite be the case for game one today because of what happened in the wildcard game. That's the cost of being the wildcard team instead of winning the division and of having your starter go a third of an inning. Some of those guys might be unavailable or compromised. So that puts them at a a bit of a, a disadvantage in this first game. But for the rest of the series, I'm sure that we will see more of what we saw in that game and we probably should. So yeah, I'm going to say we see relievers more than starters for the Yankees in this series. Okay. Speaking of which, uh, the Cleveland prop bet, who will pitch more innings, Trevor Bauer minus two or Andrew Miller? Hmm. Yeah. So Bauer's going game one. So he's going to get two starts in this series unless someone sweeps. I'm well, right say... now the the plan is for Josh Tomlin to pitch Game Four, so mm-hmm. there's not. I think the the plan is for. Well, let me. The reason I did this is I've got a sneaky suspicion we're going to see <laughs> yeah, Trevor the plan Bauer is fluid. <laughs> yes, the the plan is very fluid. Yeah. I think, and there's weather considerations here. We'll we'll get into this in a second, but I'll say we see more 
Bauer. I, I'd say, I mean, look, if the Indians are down in game four, if they're facing elimination, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought Bauer back. He has the reputation of more of a rubber-armed mm. guy than Kluber, for instance. So you could see him again, and he was extremely effective in the second half of the season. So I'm going to say he goes deep enough into games to get more mileage than Miller in this series. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing is... I don't think we're going to see as much Miller as we did last year. I think that mm-hmm. you know part of the part of Kluber moving to Game Two is to eliminate the temptation to start him on short rest in Game Four if you yeah. suddenly get cold feet about Tomlin. Because I you know I think Terry Francona is cognizant of both him and Miller running out of gas exactly in the last game of the playoffs. So mm-hmm. and, and Miller pitched how many games? Uh, it was. 15 Cleveland games he threw 19 and a third innings in the in last year's playoffs. I don't think we're going to see anywhere near that ratio. I think if he gets to, yeah. to more than an inning a game, I'd be surprised. And again, I think I I would if this goes to, to game four, it would not shock me at all if we see a Trevor Bauer relief appearance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think Francona needs to push Miller as hard as he did last last time around just because he has some more starters who have whole hands and working functioning fingers this time around. So I don't think he's quite at, at the, the depths of needing to rely on him to the extent that he did last year. But yeah, let's talk about the Kluber decision. I'm suspicious of anyone really who says that this was brilliant or terrible just outright because i think the more you think about it there are so many factors at play here and the difference in terms of probability of winning this series or the next series probably not that huge depending on whether you're starting your race in game one or game two but Francota justified it largely by saying that Kluber wanted this, that he didn't want to pitch on short rest. He didn't want to pitch on extra rest. And so this is the way to do that. But there are complicating factors here, of course. And in general, I'm on board with the idea of a team saying our goal is to win the World Series. And if we think that a move maximizes our chances of winning the World Series at a slight cost to our chance of winning the series we're playing right now, I'm okay with that. And I think that Terry Francona has the reputation. He has sold unorthodox moves in the past and been proven right. He does not have his job at risk in in a way with a, a controversial decision like this that many managers would. And I think he's excelled at getting players behind him, whatever he decides to do. So if that's the rationale that you can line up Kluber for three starts potentially in the next series with a little more rest and have a better chance of winning that one if you get there, I get that and I respect that at the same time. There are other considerations here. There's the fact that rain last time I checked is in the forecast for game two and that could screw up some plans here. If that were to happen, you might end up having to use Kluber in a way that you don't want to use him anyway. And of course, you are running the risk of not using him as much in this series and this could be a tough series in its own right. Oh, I think you're going to... I mean, I don't think it's going to get to game five. First of all, I I know you're not going to get predictions. I think Cleveland's going to win this in in three or four. Um, But, you know, the the rain argument is I'm sympathetic to that. And I'm sympathetic a little bit to the idea that Carlos, like the drop off from from Kluber to Carrasco, as great as Kluber's been, isn't enormous in a one game scenario. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I've. The only confusing thing about this is starting Bauer in game one and 
Uh, I've heard the theory that Carrasco pitches better on the road, so they want to have him pitch right. in New York. I, that just feels like overthinking it to me. So does the rain thing. And, you know, this just maybe this is I'm just thinking about this way because of my borderline obsession with Trevor Bauer. But like this feels like a motivate Bauer thing is the difference between between good Bauer and bad Bauer is the difference between Cleveland being a heavy American League favorite. And Cleveland, maybe not even making it out of the first round. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you light a fire under Bauer. You see what you've got out of him early on and you sort of go from there. You know, this, the other thing is like they've got the, you know, Mike Clevenger's been really good. And, you know, he's got the potential to be a de facto piggyback starter, for instance. I, it wouldn't shock me to see them maybe even skip. Tomlin, I know they said Clevenger is going to pitch out of the bullpen, but if it comes down to it, maybe a piggyback situation with him and Salazar um, in game four. But you know, if you're not going to pitch Kluber on short rest, then you're not going to pitch Kluber on short rest. And if and if you're not going to pitch him on short rest and he's more comfortable going on four days and five, then you, you know, you line him up for two and five. And, uh, you know, I don't have strong feelings about this one way or another. I just, it, it, you know, it's I don't even know if it's unorthodox. I think it's just sort of setting up your rotation and as far as like looking to looking to win all three series before you win the first one you got to win all all three series like you mm-hmm. you know that i i'm kind of suspicious of you know you got to throw everything into winning you know let tomorrow take care of itself kind of managing because you know you do yeah, have to win all three series managerial mindset though i would and, say i mean yeah, that's the the standard thing is you start your race in game 1 and you use them as much as you can and you hope it doesn't come back to bite you later but and no one is going to criticize you it came back to bite cleveland later like they it can yeah i mean you know, they had well, one game to go and their two best pitchers who hadn't you know allowed like two runs the entire postseason got lit up Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, Kluber clearly tired, it appeared, in the World Series, and he'd been pushed really hard. And again, that was out of necessity that maybe the Indians don't have this this offseason or this postseason. But yeah, I mean, I think he's left himself open to some criticism here. But I think the deeper you look into it, the more wrinkles there are, the more pluses and minuses there are to each strategy. And I doubt it ends up being the deciding factor. I'm... With you, I think that Cleveland wins this series. I I think they're just too good. I think they're the best team in baseball, probably. And that's even given the fact that I think the Yankees are a really formidable playoff team. And against almost anyone else, I would like their chances. But I just think that, A, to use their bullpen to deploy this weapon that they have and Granted, the Indians' bullpen is pretty strong in its own right, if not quite as deep as the Yankees. But you have to get a lead at some point to be able to use that bullpen. I mean, of course, they they used it in the wild card game when they were down and they were able to come back. But I think to really get the most out of it, you have to get good starts at some point. You have to have that lead and then use the bullpen as a shutdown tactic. And I don't know that that will happen because the Yankees are probably going to have the inferior starter in most games in this series. And I'm just not really that confident in Gray, in Sabathia, et cetera, setting the Yankees up to have that lead to nail down from, say, the fifth inning on. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to it will be it will be a very interesting. These are these are two managers, two managers who are 
who are they manage with very little fear let's put it that mm-hmm. way and so that'll be interesting from a tactical perspective yes um all right so the other american league series starts yes. in houston starts today starts yeah. even sooner yeah o'clock so in please houston. listen to this podcast <laughs> right now let's, <laughs> yes. talk, let's talk real fast okay yeah. over under for the red sox 800 ops for mookie bets i'm gonna say over i think Mookie's offense was down this year, but I think a little too much was made of that. I mean, for one thing, he was still a really valuable player just because of everything else he does in his spectacular right field defense. But I think if you look at the underlying numbers, you look at what he would have been expected to hit based on his stat cast stats, almost exactly the same in both 2016 and 2017. So I think it was one of those cases of maybe he got a little lucky last year. Maybe he got a little unlucky this year. I think he's still a stud and I think he can get over that, that point. And it's a really, you know, this is a huge offensive mismatch here. Probably the biggest you could come up with in this playoff field and that the Astros have the best offense ever aside from like late 20s early 30s Yankees teams essentially and the Red Sox had the worst offense of any playoff team by quite a bit this year but I'm gonna take the over on Mookie yeah I'll go under I think it's gonna be close to 800 I mean Mm -hmm. he, he was 803 for the season and I I agree with you, but also the quality of pitching he's going to face is probably yep. going to be better than the the average American League pitcher that True. that uh, that he faced. So, yeah, I, I think I'll go under, but it'll be close. The problem with the with the Red Sox right now is not only like their offense was sneaky, really bad, which you like. It's just absolutely puzzling how yeah. uh, an assemblage of hitters right. this talented managed to thing, be. I continue to think that they're better than they showed themselves to be. So in that sense, I think if you're just looking at their 2017 stats and taking those at face value, they may be a bit better than that. But they, they underplayed. They could my be a lot better than that and still not be as good as Houston. The oh, other thing that they're nowhere near as good as Houston. The other thing that that bothers me about this particular matchup is the Astros don't really have a trustworthy left-handed reliever, and mm-hmm. they're you know they're probably going to start uh, every, except for Dallas Keuchel in Game Two. They're probably going to start all righties as well. So that's. It, and with that said, you know, Ben Attendee kind of underperformed. Raphael Devers has, has cooled off. And I think I think Jackie Bradley's hurt. I mean, he he uh, spent some time on the DL and came back and hit like a pitcher in the month of September. And, you know, this these are middle of the order guys. They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be the guys who are going to force A.J. Hinch to go to Francisco Liriano in high leverage situations or think about how he rations Chris Davinsky in his changeup. And there's just not really anything to be afraid of right now. Mm-hmm. So I... You know, it's a different team with more left-handed hitters, more left-handed hitters who, I don't know, for lack of a better word, who are hot right now, uh, would probably be a tougher matchup for the Astros. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. You want to give me the the Astros over under before I weigh in? All right. Over over under 22 runs scored on the series. (sighs) This is a tough one. I I mean, we haven't done our predictions yet. I think that probably both of us, probably almost everyone will favor the Astros in this series. But I don't think the Red Sox are a pushover. I think maybe the difference between these teams has been exaggerated a little bit. I think the Sox had a better second half than the Astros did in terms of record and run differential. I still don't think they're the better team, but I could see the Astros 
being pushed to four or five games. And if they do, on the one hand, that probably means that they haven't had great offensive games, but they're just so tough to keep down at the plate. I'm going to guess that the series goes deep enough that they get there, that they get the over because the Red Sox pitching staff is looking pretty shaky at this point. Yeah, I I mean, I think the only way that doesn't happen is is if Chris Sale just, you know, maybe not literally throws two complete game shutouts, but something close to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like this Red Sox rotation a lot. I don't like it as much as Houston's offense. I, you know, 22 is about their per game total from the uh, from the regular season or their about their their per game average from the regular season multiplied by four games. Mm-hmm. Um, so and in two parks that with a very very short fence in uh, in left field, you know, I think they get. To, I think if they win in four, then they get to twenty two runs. If they, you know, if they get to five, I think they score twenty two runs. I think it's possible that they could score eight runs a game and and sweep. Um, mm-hmm. You know. You're, Possible, maybe not. You know, certainly not likely right. with with Sale and Pomerantz pitching games one and two. But I, you know, I I think it's it's so easy to concentrate on starting pitching matchups. Which you know, even with Keuchel's been a little shaky in the second half, but Brad Peacock's pitched well. I think the the Astros bullpen is starting to to become more stable. Ken Giles has pitched well in the second half. Joe Musgrove's turned into a weapon, and Justin Verlander's been. You know, maybe the best pitcher in baseball since since the trade. I think the Astros pitching staff is fine, but we were so conditioned to look at uh, to look at the starting rotation in particular, and now sort of the who's got the closer, who's got the the Andrew Miller type, and that you know there's there's more than one way to win a game. And the you know you talked about liking the Yankees all or nothing offense. Well, the Astros can hit that many home runs while still putting the ball mm-hmm. in play more than any other team in baseball. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at least until they get to Cleveland, I think I would I would have them favored over any other team in the American League. Yeah, I I agree with you. I I think and I don't know if I'm quite as confident about the Red Sox rotation even as you are. I think Pomeranz Lost a chunk of velocity in September. Still pitched okay. I mean, all those guys, Rodriguez, Pomeranz, Sale, they were perfectly fine in September. But, you know, if you start getting into Porcello's starts or you start getting deep into that bullpen, I'm excited to see what David Price can be as a multi-inning relief weapon here. And, of course, Kimbrell is the best reliever in the series. There's Carson Smith. There's other guys that you wouldn't be terribly afraid to see come into this game, but I'm with you. I I think I wouldn't be at all surprised if this series went deep, but I would be slightly surprised if Boston found a way past Houston here. So let us take a quick break. We'll hear a word from our sponsor and then we'll be back with the national league matchups. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about black on the air. Hosted by the one and only, the great one, Larry Wilmore. Even though he's a Lakers fan, I still like him. I think he's talented. But he has all kinds of guests on, from Neil deGrasse Tyson to Al Franken to Bernie Sanders. You name it, they're coming on. Pop culture, politics, newsmakers. And then at, at the beginning of every podcast, Larry does a little riff about whatever is either sticking in his car or things that he's enjoying. Although he has been enjoying much lately with the way the world's going. But uh, Larry will riff on anything and then he has guests on it's great if you liked everything else that he's done comedy wise if you love this comedy central show you will love 
this podcast and it's a medium that he is built for it. It's called Black on the Air, hosted by Larry Wilmore. Get it wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. To the National League we go, the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. This is the the Diamondbacks yes. had the best record of any team in baseball against the the Dodgers this year, eleven and eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only other yep. team they had a losing record against was the Rockies. So they were sort of you know just looking at head to head matchups. They were screwed no matter who won the uh, the, <laughs> the wild card game. So I've got two for the Dodgers here. Uh, they're sort of similar. Let's go with the first one: over under thirty combined batters faced for Rich Hill and Yu Darvish. Yeah, that that's kind of a key to the series. I would say the I'll key take, to the series. <laughs> yeah, probably, right? I'll I'll take the over. I'll take the over on both of these guys combining for 30. How many starts do we think they're get? Do we know how this rotation lines uh, up after Kershaw? I think it's Hill 2, Darvish 3. Mhm. So We've got a, a chance that even he'll get multiple starts in this series, possibly. So I'll take the over on this, but not with a, a high degree of confidence. So 30, you know, even if they only get two starts, which are guaranteed, that's an average of five innings a piece. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, God, yeah. imagine saying that about Rich Hill and you, Darvish. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they're going to average five <laughs> innings a start. Um, even with yeah. yeah a stronger LA bullpen than maybe we've seen in years past, I just think that both of them have that you know there's a lot of downside to those two right now. Um, I would take mm-hmm. the over, not because I have strong feelings about them making it you know making it one way or another, but because I don't want to root for the under. Like I really want Hill mm-hmm. and Darvish in particular <laughs> to to be good. Um, so I'll take yeah. the over there. I mostly want Kershaw to be good, which is the subject of the next over-under for the Dodgers. And I don't have any rooting interest for either of these teams or any team for that matter. But Kershaw, I mean, who doesn't love Clayton Kershaw? And I'm so so sick of the Kershaw can't pitch in the postseason narrative that it would be nice if he could finally drive a a stake into that. But there's cause for concern given the back injury and how he finished the season. So that's your your next over-under here. 17 and two-thirds combined innings, innings pitched for Jensen and Kershaw. So this is tough. Obviously... That's what they did in last year's uh, division okay. series. All right. And Jensen had that extra long that outing. That monster game five three, outing. Three innings at yeah. least it was. And, and that was two starts and a relief appearance for Kershaw. Right. So that... Seems like it would be pretty tough to replicate. On the other hand, that's, you know, in a five-game division series, that's, you know, maybe three saves for for Jansen. And so three mm-hmm. one-inning saves for, for Jansen is is three innings. And then what do you need from Kershaw? An average of seven and change? Yeah. Seven and change innings? So I'll take the under. I mean... I'll take the under. Yeah. yeah. The Dodgers obviously want those two guys in the game as much as possible, but... That's a lot for a short series. And uh, the last one for for that series, over under one blown save for Fernando Rodney, who courtesy of uh, our uh, our friend of the pod, Zach Cram, told me has never saved a postseason game. <laughs> over two in postseason save opportunities for his career. Well, I know where you stand on this one as the biggest Fernando Rodney fan in the universe. <laughs> so what did he? He blew six saves this year. He saved 39, so 39 for 45. Not a bad percentage. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's 
harder than you think to blow saves. I know that we talk about mm-hmm. this all the time, but yes, it is. You know, you go back and you look at like Cleveland using Joe Borowski in that role back when Joe Borowski was bad, and you still save the game most of the time. Now, maybe it's a little harder than usual in the playoffs when maybe you're more likely to have close saves, one run, two run saves, as opposed to three run saves, and. He always does make it interesting. Even in the wild card game with a four-run lead, he put a couple guys on enough to make some people nervous. But I'm going to say he gets through this without blowing one. Under! <laughs> All right. Zero blown saves for Fernando Rodney. We're both agreed. So how did I end up here? <laughs> what? What? series of decisions did I make that I was <laughs> staking out a staunchly pro Fernando Rodney uh, position Fernando Rodney in 2017 as a closer in 2017 that's a great question <laughs> as, that's as a great question his 41st birthday so this is a tough series for the Dodgers I'm sure that they were rooting hard for the Rockies in that wild card game because the Diamondbacks are a tough assignment and I don't put that much stock in the fact that the Diamondbacks played the Dodgers tough this this season. I mean, maybe there's some confidence that comes from that, but I think the overall record and, and quality of the team is more telling than that season series. And it's just a tough assignment because the Diamondbacks are good and they have a deep rotation and that matches up well with the Dodgers. And so it wouldn't be at all surprising to see them take this, but I'm still going to go with the team that was the best in the league all season long, or at least for much of the season, except when they were the worst in the league briefly, the Dodgers. So I'm going to stick with them, but this doesn't seem like a a sweep situation at all here to me. I mean, you're going to have to face Robbie Ray and Granke for three games, presumably, and it doesn't get that much easier from there. So I'm going to go with Dodgers, but not overwhelmingly so. Yeah, I burning Ray for two and a third innings was just really puzzling to mm-hmm. me. I mean, I, I guess you know you gotta you gotta manage for it's consider the lily lilies of the field management. Mm-hmm. Um, but not having Ray to start game one, I think puts it. I mean, it it almost concedes it to you know as well as Taiwan Walker is his pitches here, whether they go with Godley or Corbin or you know in uh, in game one. Um, it's you know that's not the kind of guy who can sort of grind off the sharp edges of Clayton Kershaw. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worry a little bit about the depth of Arizona's lineup, which was right. great in the wild card exactly. game. Exactly, yeah. But those it's two teams still, to a certain extent, you get through you get through Martinez and Goldschmidt, mm-hmm. and there's not that much else there that really scares no, it's, me. It's very deceptive. If you look at just the surface stats of both the Rockies and the Diamondbacks and the number of runs they scored in the wildcard game, you would take that as evidence that these are two great offensive teams. But you really have to park adjust those guys because they're playing in Arizona and Colorado. And once you factor that in, neither of these teams had a deep lineup. They kind of have some... MVP caliber or at least one MVP caliber person apiece and there's just not a lot of depth to these lineups and really they were below average lineups perhaps once you factor in the ballpark so I think you're right to be concerned about that yeah so give me LA Mm -hmm. I will say that with the caveat of after they lost 16 of 17 they exhausted my their capacity to shock me 
So, so who knows what will happen with the Dodgers? But I think just looking at this as, uh, you know, considering the entire body of work, considering the way the two rotations are going to shape out, I just, you know, I don't think the the Diamondbacks have the depth to Mm -hmm. hang. All right. And that brings us to the last series. Also starts on Friday, Cubs at Nationals. And this one is maybe the toughest to call of any of these four, at least for me. Um. I don't know. I came out of this with with pretty clear favorites for okay. all four. All right, guess the over under. This might be the closest. Um, okay, so the over under for the Cubs is Carl Edwards and Mike Montgomery enter over under two games with men on base. <laughs> I'll say, man, it's tough to pick over two in a five game series. High. Yeah, you know what? Two. But is if high. we were saying. So. Either one or two or, or fewer than two or two. I, I might go with two just because that Cubs rotation is worrisome. And so it would not at all surprise me if Cubs relievers are coming into jams and not getting clean innings here. So I'll say I'll say they get two. I, I can't go over, but yeah. Yeah, I think even even if they don't get a ton of innings, I think how many times Montgomery and Edwards enter the game with men on base could swing the series because both. I mean, they've been they've been effective in that sort of middle relief role. You know, Montgomery can go multiple innings, which I think would be huge. But apart from Wade Davis, you know, it's just I don't know how much I trust any of these middle relievers, mm-hmm. even Edwards, who put up a lot of good numbers. That walk rate really scares me. Um, and if they come in with guys on base, then I just you know, I I worry about getting from the rotation to Wade Davis. And I think that as bad as the Nationals bullpen has been, they've at least, you know, they've got, it's like I said, it's not about having, it's not necessarily about having all the knockout relievers all at once because all three of Doolittle, Madsen, and Kinsler have looked shaky at one, at one point or another, but they've got three of those mm-hmm. guys. And, you know, the, the Cubs just don't really. Yeah. And I just, you know, it's... It's just as likely, I think, that the that Hendricks and Quintana and Lester and and Arietta could turn into the 05 White Sox all of a sudden, and you know they all throw seven or eight innings, and the and the Cubs win in three or four relatively easily. But I just you know I worry about them mm-hmm. in the middle. Yes, yeah. no, I, I think that is <laughs> that's a a fair concern. So give us the Nationals over under. All right, so I've got a list of mm-hmm. seven pitchers, and. That's Scherzer, Gonzalez, uh, Tanner Roark, uh, Steven Strasburg, Sean Doolittle, Ryan Madsen, Brandon Kinsler. Will all Nationals pitchers, ex- apart from those seven, face over or under seven and a half batters throughout the duration hmm, of the series? You're really doubting my man, Matt Albers here, huh? Uh, well... I, I, <laughs> I hope, you know, I, I think that the way to victory is that Albers pitches six of those seven and a half. Yeah, I know. Batters are working course. some, what, Sammy Solis or maybe some, <laughs> there's not a whole lot else. Eddie Romero. Do you really <laughs> yeah, have no, to work in the no. Sammy I mean, Solis? Yeah, the Nationals probably would prefer not to have to use anyone other than the pitchers you're listing here. 7.5. I mean, if you get like one blowout or one game that's not all that competitive you could get there just in that game alone and 7.5 batters face could be like an inning of work for any of the the nationals pitchers who are not the seven so i'll say over but it could be close 
I'll say over two. And, and yeah, I mean, there are scenarios in which this isn't all that concerning. I think the one where it is concerning is you have to, is, you know, Scherzer is still not yes. 100% confirmed for. It's looking like game three you know, for Scherzer. Like, yeah, game three. And not having him go, you know, Strasburg and, and Gonzalez are both probably better than anybody the Cubs would, yeah. would throw out there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe probably better than Hendricks right now at any rate. Yeah. Um, Cubs are going Hendricks, Quintana, or Hendricks, Lester. Hendricks, Lester. Quintana, Quintana and Arietta, Right. And given how Lester has looked, given the concerns about Arietta's health too, I mean, this is maybe the most uncertain series just because of the couple of starters yeah. whose health is uncertain, the rustiness of Bryce Harper, who barely got back into game action before the regular season ended. So there are more unknowns here, I would say. And obviously the Cubs finished the season extremely strong. And I think optimism about them is warranted, but this is not the team that we saw a year ago. This is uh, clearly a, a more vulnerable team and still dangerous, but I think I'm, I'm with you on the relative strengths of the bullpens, the, way the Nationals salvaged their bullpen with a couple of trades at midseason is pretty impressive how that worked out, given how gaping a hole that was early yeah, in the year. You buy wholesale. Yes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's what I like about I, I actually like uh, teams with huge holes, you know, good teams with huge holes midseason because it's, you know, it's right. Bill James, you know, another Bill James uh, aphorism. Mm-hmm. It's easier to change an F to a C. Yes, easy to upgrade. It is to yeah. change a C to an A. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the Nationals just go so deep with players who are maybe better than almost anyone on the Cubs, except for Chris Bryant, I guess, at this point. is I just don't know that I could pick the Cubs over the Nationals. And, of course, people inevitably bring up the baggage of the Nationals early exits from the last several years of of playoffs but I just have to think that's not as as significant a factor as the talent and the talent was there all yeah, season and I you know I think it's you know I think the the baggage from playoff exits is important considering the Cubs you know won the World <laughs> Series last year having no playoff exit baggage of right. their own. I guess the, so, the difference if you wanted to make a distinction is that this is the it's same all, you team. Know, it's the same largely. players. We're not, you know, we're not, uh, we're not penalizing Chris, you know, or not penalizing Kyle Hendricks for the postseason right. misdeeds of Charlie. <laughs> exactly Root. right. Whereas these Nationals are mostly the ones, or many of them are the same ones who've been bounced early. But I just don't make too much of that, and I just think it's too strong a team, top to bottom. They're all five game losses anyway, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, it's not like they they've been getting just completely blown out. Um, it, while I'm being snarky, I I want to say how irritated I am that John Lester not throwing to first has sort of disappeared <laughs> as a narrative because I think that could have been a lot of fun with Trey Turner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, I think people were probably tiring of that by last October just because no one was really pushing him other than 
maybe a couple of the Indians, Rajai Davis and Francisco Lindor were testing him a bit. Yeah. But Lindor had no idea <laughs> no. what to make of it. I mean, he, he just got out there like like he, he took those those big 18 foot leads off first base and looked like a child who <laughs> swum too far out of yeah, the ocean. I mean, it, <laughs> like it I, became clear at a certain point that Lester was doing just fine and he was a high functioning, mm-hmm. not throwing to first pitcher and... I still sitting here behind my keyboard wonder why teams didn't even push him harder than they did. And I think maybe that was partly habit and psychology, but that's understandable on this sort of stage. So anyway, I think probably we all beat that into the ground and Lester proved that he could succeed despite that shortcoming. So maybe it's for the best that it's not a story anymore, but it was fun while it lasted. I'm looking forward to this slate. This is, this is eight really good teams. These um, are great teams. Yeah, there is no weak team here, which I think Zach is writing about for the ringer in the coming days. I mean, all of these teams deserve to be here. There is no hugely lopsided mismatch here the way that there were in the wildcard games. So justice was served in those wildcard games. The better teams won. We don't have to have a crisis about the format and how it disadvantages teams that should have a bigger advantage. And yeah, these are the eight teams that I would want to see playing at this point in the season. And we get to see them all play in one day tomorrow. That is always one of the best baseball days of the year. I just got really tired when you said that. That's that's going to be a lot of baseball. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to the games or if you're on recap duty or you have some kind of work related task, I am on both of those. Yeah. Well, and the the Astros are the early games. So I got to get there. Okay. (laughs) Well, I got to go to sleep then. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. We're recording this in case anyone couldn't tell we're a little punchy. It's two in the morning where I am after the NL wildcard game. So anyway, we've managed to get through every series and we will be revisiting these, of course, on Monday and look for some bonus pods to pop up in your Ringer MLB show feed. This is going to be more of a team effort than it normally is during these playoffs. We'll probably have a few of our fellow staffers chiming in, covering aspects of the postseason that we haven't had time for, although we've tried to not give any team too short a shrift today. Yeah, we mentioned all your favorite players. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so don't add us about that. Just add us about all the things we were wrong about. Speaking of adding, Mm -hmm. since we're... Are are we done with the playoff preview? Can we we move on to to housekeeping? Uh, This comes from from, uh, Eric Steven, friend of the pod Mm -hmm. at... uh, uh, at True Blue LA, yep. courtesy of the Dodgers Media Day. Uh, Brandon McCarthy, yeah. quote, if all nine people had have had their bats in the oh, inning, no. that counts as batting around. Ugh. Ugh. So on the heels of this and Steve Stone and Jason Benetti, I am changing my name to appeal to authority, Bauman, <laughs> and I think oh declaring victory. All we have learned from Steve Stone's opinion and Brandon McCarthy's opinion is that pitchers are not qualified to weigh in on what batting around means we have to hear from the hitters here all right maybe this is this is one i've been looking for for stories to to dig up while while the Uh, astros and red sox are maybe this is maybe we should let it die (laughs) i hate to keep charting up the controversy now that you're losing you want to let it go i'm not losing (laughs) i've won i won the first time we talked about this you have the mob (laughs) all right you've been listening to the ringer mlb show part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Enjoy the baseball. We'll talk to you soon.